So, now after our break uh, for Easter, we come now to our final words in Paul's famous chapter on love in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul wanted to explain to the church at Corinth what love really was because they were hopelessly confused, as we often are, right? If you've read Corinthians, you know that they had all sorts of weird priorities, and uh, so do we. As usual, let's read the whole chapter for context, but uh, the words we're focusing on today are the first part of verse 8, so the last three words. And I've chosen to use the message translation today because uh, we used that over Easter and it worked really well. Um, But bear in mind that uh, in this particular passage, Eugene Peterson has taken the biblical text on and elaborated on it a lot, a lot more than he did for the Easter passages. But I think he captures the, the ideas and the feelings that Paul is conveying quite well. So let's let's just see what Peterson says. So can you hear me okay, Zoomers? Great. Um Actually, Tim, do you want to read the do you want to read the passage from the from the screen here? Can you see yeah, the screen? Sure. Yep. Great. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I am nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and make everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I am nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor, and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. So, no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I am bankrupt for that love. Love never gives up. Uh, 
hope unsettingly, love extravagantly, and the best of these three is love. Amen. Oh, isn't that an interesting yeah. version? Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you, I've got three scenarios here, so let me ask you which of these three scenarios you think best demonstrates or illustrates rather genuine love. So the first scenario, a, a man creates an elaborate proposal involving a horse-drawn carriage, Paris, the Eiffel Tower, a string ensemble and a massive diamond engagement ring. All to impress his bride. But, but, but once they're married, he quickly gets bored and abandons his wife for a new woman. Right? I'm not saying that those two do that. This is just an illustration. <laughs> second, second, a normal romance culminates in a nice meal and a traditional proposal, but the marriage settles into a grudging cohabitation. Okay? Or third, a low-key romance is followed by constant unstinting support for the rest of the couple's lives, even through suffering. So which of these three do you think most is most representative of genuine love? So so what so the difference between the what makes the first one not genuine love? or not so much genuine love, and the third one, more genuine love, is is what? The first one is like, I got bored. Yeah. So he could just be filthy rich and yeah. given to extravagant like sort of things, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which means that it, that's no real demonstration of love. No. Whereas this guy's sort of stuck around... And, and sticking around is, is a demonstration of love. Sticking around and caring, right? No matter how rich you are or poor. <clears throat> so I think, I, think it's the, I think it's the enduring nature that makes this, this the difference. Has, have any of you read uh, Thomas Hardy's Far From the Matting Crowd? I've seen the movie. Have you seen this movie? Yes. Yep. Um, so, if you've seen this, you might realise that the main character of the book, Bathsheba Everdeen, and yes, Katniss Everdeen is named after Bathsheba's, Bathsheba Everdeen. Maybe she's her great-granddaughter or something. Um, no, great-great-great-great-great. So, yeah. The main, she's the main character, and she encounters this sort of decision in her life, in, in the story. She opts for the early extravagance of a flashy soldier and then a wealthy farmer, and she suffers as a result. Her choices are not good choices. This is, this is the third person. In the end, after all this suffering, this guy who, who was the first person who, who loved her, but she rejected, and he loves her all through for for all through this, even though she's betraying him and abandoning him. And eventually she finds 
in the steady love of the shepherd, Gabriel Oak, that's his name, her final refuge. Now, Thomas Hardy comes from the Romantic era in art, which is sort of, this sounds romantic, right? Which prioritised the emotions over the cold, hard truth. But, but Hardy was himself a Victorian realist, which did the opposite. So that movement was dedicated to face up to reality, no matter how difficult it was. And as a result of this uh, perspective and his pessimistic atheism, he was an atheist as well, his work tends to be quite dark. So if you've ever seen or read Tess of the D'Urbervilles, you know how depressing that is. And uh, his, his last novel, um, Jude the Obscure, sounds... Oh, I don't even want to read it. It just sounds so depressing and dark. But in Far From a Madding Crowd, which was, I think, his first successful work, Hardy recognises an important reality, which he often doesn't. Genuine love is not flashy or proud, but it is powerful. And a large part of that power comes from its constancy, the fact that it endures, it never fails. Paul emphasises this in his final words on love. In verse 7, he's told us that love is always supportive, loyal, hopeful and trusting. Right? Now, as I mentioned in my last sermon on this verse a few weeks ago, there are many ways to interpret these four verbs. This is the contemporary English version of the Bible. The New Living Translation, which we usually use in our sermons, translates the same sentence this way. Oops, not that way. Um, Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Same Greek different English translation and the words are actually they have quite a wide range of meaning each of the words Um, in either case you can see that the main point that Paul is trying to get across is actually fairly straightforward love never fails and as you can see that is actually the next words in his letter Just as the shepherd, Gabriel Oak, never stopped loving Bathsheba Everdeen, despite her foolish mistakes and her rejection of him, God never stops loving us, no matter how brutally we reject him. And we have brutally rejected him in the first place. Now in the Greek, this word fails, that love never does, In the ESV, it translates it as ends, but the Greek simply means to fall, to fall down. It refers to the rain, to a person falling down drunk or in worship or in death, and so on. It's, it's much like the English word fall. So love never falls. Never falls down. It keeps going like <laughs> the imaginary energizer bunny. I say imaginary because an energizer bunny doesn't keep going forever. Just imagine if it did, how annoying would that be? (laughs) Fortunately, love, genuine love, is never annoying. And the longer it lasts, the less annoying it is. Paul spends the whole second half of the chapter we read earlier emphasizing that love never fails. 
He points to all the spiritual things that the Corinthians value, prophesying, speaking in tongues, possessing spiritual knowledge. All this, he says, will pass away. And we'll, we'll, at the moment, we just see things as in a mist, as in the rain, we're squinting. But ultimately, <coughs> we will see God. And ultimately, only three things will remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the most significant, the most important, the greatest of these is love. Why? Why does Paul make such a point of love's enduring nature. Why is it so important that love never fail? I think this is related. Sorry, Neil. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give my idea. <laughs> That's the problem with asking questions, right? It's hard to tell whether I'm actually asking you or it's a rhetorical device. So, <laughs> I should have a, like a little symbol on the slide or something. <laughs> Yeah. So I think I think this is related to what love is, what it does in reality and where it comes from. So John says, the apostle John says God is love. God is love. God has always been love. In the eternity before time, before creation when God alone existed, he was love because he was three in one. The Father loved the Son, who loved the Spirit, who loved the Father, and so on. This mutual love is what the world is built on. The interdependence of all things in creation. The way that ecosystems work via the diverse species supporting one another. The way that molecules work by diverse atomic elements bonding together, the way that human families and societies work via diverse people caring for one another. All this, all of these levels of reality, these are just a pale reflection of those incredible bonds of love within the heart of the triune God, one God in three persons. Even the devastation of the fall, the corruption of Satan and selfishness has not been able to loose the bonds that bind the universe. That's what love is and that's why it needs to last. When we love, we're participating in the deepest law, the deepest pattern the deepest reality underpinning the cosmos. Love is not merely a choice. It's not merely an emotion. It's not merely a posture or an attitude or a lifestyle. Love profoundly transforms the reality that we dwell in spiritually, emotionally and physically. When Paul says that the greatest of these is love, he is, if anything, underplaying the profound importance of love. The Apostle John is not exaggerating when he says, 
If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Without love for one another, we we have no life. We have only death. Love transforms us. John says later, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. That's a profound... um, profound statement that philosophers and theologians have pondered on for 2,000 years and still don't really understand. But we can see why genuine love never fails, right? Genuine love, God's love, love from God is the source of life. It's the core to who God is. And God is eternal. He's never changing, never ending. And so love's the same. Genuine love. It, so what does this mean for us? This all sounds very theoretical and philosophical. But if genuine love never fails, what does that mean? How does it affect the way that we live? Think for a moment about your own hang-ups. Think about your fears, your worries, your insecurities. Why did you get angry with somebody the other day? Why can't I just get things done when I want to? What is it that's holding us back from making friends, from sharing Jesus with our neighbours, from caring unselfishly for our children and spouses and siblings and parents and friends and neighbours? I think when we dig deep into our behaviour, and why we don't live like Jesus, what we find is a fear that we'll be abandoned, like this church. I don't share Jesus with my neighbour because, when I can because I'm afraid of being embarrassed by appearing to be peddling a fantasy. But if I could trust that Jesus' love would not fail, that Jesus would really show up when I've said that he will, then that my neighbour would encounter that love just as surely as I do, then I don't need to be afraid. I defend myself aggressively when my wife complains about something because I'm afraid that no one will protect me if I don't stick up for myself. But if I was confident in God's unfailing love and its genuine impact in my life, not just some theoretical makes me feel better Impact, but something that really strengthens me, that really protects me and holds me and keeps me safe, then I wouldn't feel any need to defend myself. And instead, I could really listen to my wife and take her complaints seriously to help me love her better. I could think about her instead of thinking about me. So much of our lives is lived so weakly because we don't actually believe that God's love never fails. 
Instead, we believe that God's love barely even exists, at least in any meaningful way. At least, that's my struggle. But God's love does exist. This is a picture of Habitat for Humanity. We were talking about missions before. That's, that's one that's popular in America. And because God's love exists, we can show that same love to others. We can be patient, kind, never envious, boastful, arrogant, disrespectful or self-seeking. We can refuse to tally wrongs against us and so escape irritability and we can rejoice in the truth instead of in wrongdoing. We can always be supportive, always hope for and believe for the best, enduring patiently. And like God, our love can go on and on. Never falling, never failing, a rock for those who need us. This is what God calls us to. Although Paul's words, through Paul's words in this letter to Corinth, all of us Christians are called to live this out. It's hard. It's a hard calling. Perhaps the hardest of all our Christian callings is to share God's love. But it's a call for all Christians, young and old, fresh and wizened, inexperienced and experienced So how can we do this? I have a suggestion for a sort of spiritual practice that might make it easier. So my suggestion is that each day when we wake up, we take one of these attributes of love like that and we, um, we reflect on how God has shown his love to us in that attribute. So... Here it says, Jesus is patient with me. And then think of how Jesus has been patient with you in the past. Recognize, oops, recognize that Jesus knows your inmost thoughts and yet patiently loves you. So reflect on on how God has shown you this, how Jesus has shown you this attribute. And then pray that God will help us to show that to the people we interact with that day. So think about what this aspect of love is like as you've seen it in God and then pray that you can live it out today with the people you encounter today. So so we pray each morning and each day we can focus on a different aspect of God's love until we come to the end and start again and then after a couple of goes around we'll all be perfect and we'll be able to love everyone perfectly right (laughs) maybe this is something that we can do throughout our life on and off but I think that that perhaps by by doing this at the start of each day the first thing that you do when you wake up and you can barely see put your glasses on that's me that's me um and you, you read your little card that tells you which aspect of love you're focusing on today, you can sensitize, we can sensitize ourselves to God's amazing love and ease ourselves into this beautiful river of life that God's love is. 
so that we become Jesus' hands and feet and his mouth in this world. Now, I've got um, cards that I've made up. Now, I've, I've ordered new inks because my inks print terribly. So if anyone wants a set of these cards, and I think there's about 12 for all the different um, aspects of love from 1 Corinthians 13 with a pretty picture in the background and a, and a reflection and a prayer. Um, just give me a yell and I'll print out a copy this week and deliver it next week. Yeah, I can... Yep, I can also email you a PDF of these as well. Um, so if you want to print out, just ask, because I've got glossy paper that I bought for church, and I've got I'll I'll have um <coughs> I'll have new inks that look nice. But if you've got a great photo printer at home, um, I also thought of doing it with like a, a calendar thing. Um, so if anyone's interested in that idea, I can experiment with that as well. <laughs> so I think I, um, I think there might be twelve. Yeah, I can make it. Maybe I can make it for this twelve. Yeah. Yeah. I think when we when we came to the end of this, I, I, I sort of looked at it and I thought, how are we going to remember this? How are we going to actually put this into practice? We've spent, you know, so many weeks going through this, but how does how does it become concrete for us? And so I think it's important to have something like this that we can actually put it into practice and and um, and reflect on it. So hopefully that will be useful. So let's uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us with a love that we can never really understand. But we can try. We can, we can start to wade into your love. We can get up to our knees. We can get a bit further. We can get carried away and, and start swimming into the incredible tide of your love. And we can do that because your love is so safe. It protects us. It, 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 it never hurts us. Lord, help us to be confident in your love, that it never fails. Help us to step out in faith boldly and, and, um, and powerfully, knowing that you've got us because you love us and your love never fails. And help us to share that love with our neighbours. This is what it is to be a follower of Christ to be a person who loves, who truly loves, who cares for others more than they care for themselves. So Lord, help us to be able to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.